Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Coming to you for episode 95. 95! <laughs> it is 95, right? <laughs> or am I just making up numbers now? It's 95. I actually know it today. For some stupid reason, I know what episode it is. It's 95, I guess because I just posted 94. Hey, you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking we've talked about doing a Star Wars podcast. I think we should just do a podcast for movies. Ooh, that'd be so good. Every once in a while on the podcast, we just have great movies of cinema. <laughs> you know, just like this kind of like commercial break that takes over and we just geek out on movies for a few. Because um, I told you that I was looking today this morning. I woke up and I'm like, okay, is there a movie I get to go see on Sunday? Because that's my day. That That's my day. Yeah. I really look forward to Sunday. Sunday, we go to church and then I dump my son on my wife. And she and her mom and my son all go shopping, and I pretty much get to do whatever I want. So I usually watch movies. I usually go to That's the awesome. And I was looking, That's- I'm like, do I have a movie this weekend? Is there something I can go see? And lo and behold, the original Ghostbusters is playing at the movie theater. Dude, that is so down. I saw that movie five times the year it came out in the theater. I was eight years old. Did you really? Five times? Yeah. Five times, it was the same summer. What what year was that? That was like I don't know. I guarantee year. you, my parents did not let me go see that movie. I don't know how I saw it, <laughs> but somehow I did. Dude, I, I saw that in E.T. five times in the theater, and I was staying with, like, this friend of the family. My mom would travel to Europe and teach over the summer, so she would ship me off to various relatives. Well, all the relatives are busy, so she sent me to this friend of hers, and this woman took me... She worked in a bowling alley, which was, like, awesome to begin with. So I spent the entire summer in a bowling alley and uh, up in Connecticut. She she took me to, like, every zoo and cool thing out there. 
But she took him to the movies nonstop. What else do you do with an eight-year-old punk kid? And I saw that movie eight times or five times. So instead of watching you, she just took you to the movies and dropped you off. It was awesome. You want to know something really cool? The the highlight of that trip is I've never talked about this, but I used to be a notorious sleepwalker. And for some reason now, maybe I'm just too tired when I'm asleep now, but I don't sleepwalk anymore. But I've got some awesome stories. But that summer, I literally got up in the middle of the night, sleptwalked, and peed out her window. Second story window. <laughs> what are you talking you can't, about? You can't make this stuff up. I literally doing? walked over to her window and peed through the screen out the window thinking I was peeing. I told you about the time I peed on the, the guys in the tent and the Boy Scouts, right? What? I, I, I know I told that story on the podcast, right? I... I don't, I could swear I did. Yeah. So I, I'm a, and I've only peed on people once, but there have been wait, wait, multiple I've only peed on stories. people once. Well, which story should we well, hear sleep, Right. Like, but I mean, I'm, I'm just saying like, you know, in my sleep, I've slept, walk, I've slept. How do you say sleepwalk pee? I don't know how to say it. Asomnia ambulistic P. I'm a little bit speechless right now. I really don't know where we're going with this, and I'm very concerned all at the same time. Absolutely. If you're new to uh, the Church Planner podcast, you walked into this ignorantly. You've never listened to the Church Planner podcast, so you're forgiven. But uh, if you're a regular listener... which all we have to say is, (laughs) you should not have come back. (laughs) from, From the Sith Lord himself. That's all I'm saying. Welcome to the Church Planner Podcast, where we basically screw around for a bunch in the beginning. So, And then every once in a while, we talk about church planning. We actually, you know what, though? I have been listening to podcasts where they just screw around the whole time. I'm listening to this YouTube podcast, and they call it the uh, the the pentultimate compendium to all things YouTube, and they never, ever talk about YouTube. And uh, they talk about everything but YouTube, and... Uh, if if Pete weren't so into rap and hip hop, I'd totally say, dude, let's start a U2 one. But that being said, I could um, start a U2 one because I could talk about it as much as those guys talk about it. <laughs> absolutely. That may actually be what we need to do. But here here's the reality. We actually talk about church planning a lot. I think we almost spend about 50 minutes to 55 minutes a week talking because our, our podcast goes like an hour and 10 minutes. We probably screw around for 10 or 15, right? I can't tell you how many times Tyrone, white Tyrone, has said to me, we, we need to be shorter on our podcast. He really doesn't like that it's an hour long. That's no, what I'm I usually speechless. say back. I just silence. Yeah, I, I'm speechless now because uh, I, I don't know. I think that's a Tyrone thing. Oh, it's totally a Tyrone thing. I tried to explain that to him. I go, that's personal choice there. Here's here's my thing. If we did a half-hour podcast, I don't think we could get into our topics deep enough. Or I, I totally agree with you. And I, I think it's funny. Sometimes like people will, will talk to you, and they'll, they'll give you an opinion, and they they believe that they represent every man. Hi, I'm every man, and this is the way you ought to do it. And the reality is, the, the I mean, sure, we could trim the fat, right? I mean, but then it wouldn't be nearly as fun for us. And then there would be no church planner podcast because let's face it. I pretty much do everything that makes me smile. (laughs) If it doesn't make me smile, I usually don't want to. Actually, Tyrone knows that that's a personal thing, 
But he yeah. was he was making a point to me the other day. We were talking about something. He goes, yeah, I'll, let me give you an example. I was talking to this pastor, and I was telling him about the podcast. And he asked, how long is it? And I said, an hour. And he said, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, eh. Who's the more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows it? <laughs> uh, obviously, I'm, I'm into the Star Wars clips now. Who's more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows him? Hey, if you're listening, that's our uh, way of saluting you, Mr. Church Planner Podcast listener. Hey, but Pete, we do have a topic today. It's going to take up a lot of our time. We do, but before we get to our topic, I have to tell everyone that this particular episode of the Church Planner Podcast is sponsored. Oh, yeah. And it is sponsored by our good friends over there at Start Church. So, now, you've decided now let me to start ask a church. Before, before you do the commercial, are you going to do it in like the crazy voices like we talked about? I don't, you know, but see, I, I haven't practiced it. So here's how, how I propose we do it. I'll say a line, and then you say the line in a crazy voice. Cause okay, all right, I, all right. I know Nathan over there at Star Church, which, by the way, this is the greatest thing about Star Church, and I can't believe they don't tell more people. Nathan Camp, who's who's um, the head over there at Star Church, he's planting a church. Yeah. Like, he is a church planter. Like, if there's anybody who knows what church planters need, it's another church planter. Well, here's the thing. I actually went to start church because, and this is not paid. This is totally off the off the deal here. But I went to start church because when you're looking at starting a 501c3, um, all that kind of, we, we've had great articles on that, but it is a lot of work. And even if you know how to do it, the likelihood of you spending all the time and sitting down and doing all the legal mumbo jumbo, I guarantee you. As a serial church planner, you're going to put that crap off as long as you can. And you'd be like, oh, sermon or legalese for uh, 501c3? Um, going through the big packet, tax stuff, you know what you're going to do. Or right? um, so I, dealing with someone who's bipolar or going through the legalese, I'm going to go absolutely. deal with the person who's bipolar. Ab- absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you will pick. It will be the last thing. And I can tell you this by experience. I called them out of frustration. I was like, Look, man, save me from this because I hate this stuff. And they've got some good stuff going. So you do it in the normal voice, and then I'll do a crazy voice. So I'll only do it two times. <laughs> so I'll just say the first line, and then you you say the line. I don't. Let's give you a voice. I think you should say it as Yoda. Can you do Yoda? I can, but I'm sick. Oh so yeah, that's too scratchy. I'll just on the do throat. like obnoxious, like uh, like how I would want us to do these <laughs> if people weren't actually paying us. Well, they're, they're actually paying, paying us. Like absolutely nuts. They were. They, I should say they were actually paying us to be a, a podcast sponsor. We'll see if they still want to be after this. After this commercial, <laughs> Tyrone's probably listening right now, going, "Don't do it, guys. Don't do it, guys. I worked too no! hard to get that. Don't do it." <laughs> so you've decided to start a church. So you decided to start a church. I think you need to bring down the voice. You're kind of peeking there a little bit. Just, just I, you know, I my my mic actually <laughs> actually vibrated. <laughs> You're excited. You're thrilled. <laughs> so you want to start a church? How about that? I like that oh, one. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> now you realize that starting a church has a legal side. It can feel overwhelming, even downright scary. But it doesn't have to be. We're Start Church. We'll walk you through the whole process from start to finish, taking something hard and making it easy. The legal side doesn't have to be scary. It just has to be done. Let's Start Church do it for you. Visit us at startchurch.com. 
See, there awesome. you go. Professional, yeah, professional absolutely. sponsorship right there. And you too can sponsor the Church Planner podcast. <laughs> hey, no, but honestly though, that thing is a godsend. If you're kind of okay, if you're a nerd and you like doing that kind of technical mumbo jumbo, hey, good luck to you. Might want to rethink your calling. If you're a cool guy like me and Pete, <laughs> and I'm just teasing. No, but you know it, it is cool, and they are church planners, and they're just taking all of the the crappy bit out of it. So hey, and I say you got to go with a church planner. Like I'm sure there are other companies that do this. I mean, I don't know of any, but I'm sure there's got to be. But if it was my choice, I'd go with the guy who's a church planner, since they're actually church planners. That's who I'd go with. I can still hear Tyrone saying. So anyway, what is our topic for the day now that we're 11 minutes in? All right. So our topic today is uh, multiple personality disorder. We've been doing a series on mental illness and uh, ministering to people. Uh, I think we called it ministering to the mentally ill. Um, and, and so we've talked about anxiety disorders, depression, and then we've talked about the schizophrenic disorders and the whole time in people's mind is, yeah, but what about split personality and demonic possession? How do you, and I know you've asked a couple times, and I've kind of like played hard to get and said, not on the first date, Pete, you know, um, can't have a kiss yet, you know. So this is where we Again, come. For our first time listeners, um, there's a lot of that on this podcast. Sorry. <laughs> So we're we're standing on the on on the doorstep now, and uh, you know I'm about to shut the door, but I'll give Pete a little peck here, and uh, we're gonna talk no, about no no you won't I don't even want to go there. I'm just saying that to make you uh, uncomfortable. I'm very uncomfortable. Because you're super uncomfortable about this topic. I I know that I'm not only uncomfortable way... about this topic. I actually am very curious about where you're gonna go with this topic. Well, we for early on though, in fairness, early on you've been like, I don't want to have that. Oh topic, yeah, right? well, no, that's more like the exorcisms. Like when yeah. we get to exorcisms specifically. Yeah, yeah which, we're going there today, and I knew the only well, place. Well, we're going to demonic possession. I don't think we're going to hit on exorcisms, are we? We might. Of course, we've screwed around now for a bit, so we may not have time. That may be like the next podcast, but we'll get as far as we can today. I'm a Baptist. We, I, I, Baptist, we, we're not sure if we really believe in all that. I'm uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable. Baptists pretty much believe that demonic possession and exorcism happened back about 2,000 years ago and then pretty much stopped. Yeah. I'm Jesus came. He took care of it. And it's gone. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's pretty much what Baptist. Or, or it happens in Africa. Oh, yeah. It only, Everything no, only happens in, in Africa. World. <laughs> Nothing yeah. happens in the United States. We're way too advanced for all that. Absolutely. We know, have computers. Business. Demonic possession, pshaw. We can't happen <laughs> with computers. We sometimes do believe that our computers are possessed, but that's a completely different thing. Well, so let's talk about, first off, let's continue on our theme about uh, disassociative identity disorder, which is multiple, used to be called multiple personality disorder, and it had a name change. So it's disassociative identity disorder. And it, it basically refers to when a person uh, develops another identity, another self, to deal with the stressors. Remember, we've talked so far about every mental illness has to do in some way, shape, or form with uh, some kind of stressor in their life. So um, in this case, it's when their ego fragments into different personalities 
or what they call you have like the, the, the ego state, which is like you. And then your uh, altered personalities or other personalities. I'm, I'm taking it all in. Okay, so if I pause, it's because I'm coughing, right? So I'm I'm popping the mute on because I got a nasty old cough here today. So I'm gonna try to get yet another this. reason I'm, you shouldn't let your kids go to school. I'm just saying, keep them. Home. I'm just saying, if we didn't go to church or school, all disease would stop. My daughter went to school and she brought home a disease for daddy in the first week. So um, I'm getting over it now. But but uh, disassociative per, uh, identity disorder, multiple personality disorders, it was formerly known. You might know it as that. Um, is, you know, not to, not all that uncommon. Uh, you know, there's some famous people that have it. Adam Duritz from Counting Crows, um, suffers from this. Uh, really? yeah, he'll sing a lot about like how he's up all night and stuff. And, um, he'll, uh, if you ever notice like the space of time between albums, a lot of times it's because he's unwell and, uh, he's been really open about it. Herschel Walker, uh, NFL star. One of the greatest football players of all I time. I thought that was the dude from Walking Dead. I was like, Herschel? Oh, yeah, Herschel. No, he's dead. Yeah, he did. Um, yeah, they cut his head off. Yeah, so sad. With a samurai sword. You know, I really think we ought to do a Walking Dead podcast. That would be fun. That would be awesome. I would totally do that. Yeah. I. You know, let's do that. We should, like, we'll watch the episode, and then we'll immediately record the podcast, and we'll put it out, like, that night. I dig it. And then we'll talk about church planning at the end? No, it won't be for church planners. It'll be for the world at large. Okay. And then we'll so suck them in and we'll go, by the way, we also run the church planner podcast. And everyone will be go. like, you're doing Walking Dead and the church planner podcast? How does that work? And Star Wars and you too. There like, you hello. In fact, all we're going to do is pretty much do podcasts. I, yeah, absolutely. One one for every day of the week. I dig it. But all naked. Well, how else would we do them? Yeah. So Herschel Walker uh, wrote a book about it, and Britney Spears has uh, struggled with that. And there's good evidence. personalities? (coughs) Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And also there's evidence uh, that Marilyn Monroe uh, struggled with this as well. Um, She obviously, if you know her story, she grew up in in an orphanage and foster care and all that. And so a lot of times... It's linked. We'll talk about the theories of how you get it. But basically what it is, is you have your ego state, which is, you know, what you would consider you. But then you switch into this alter state. And so it's alter A-L-T-E-R. And each one of these personalities has separate memories. And a lot of times they're aware of the other, but they don't share the same memories. And we'll talk about that in a minute, why that is. So if I'm uh, Peyton, but I have a an alter named, um, you know, uh, Pete, um, how about how about let's use a real life example. If you're Janos and you have an alter named Joey Roper or exactly. an alter named Hector Mora, Hector Mora, yeah, go. and yeah, you know, so you would you would uh, you would have that person's personality, their mannerisms, their physical uh, habits, the way they move. Um, when you switch into these altered states, uh, you. You talk different. You might talk with an accent. Um, you might talk really fast. You might talk really loud. But you become an entirely different person, and you contain that person's memories. It's literally like you are another person. 
So uh, it normally appears in young adulthood um, while the psyche is, is particularly developing um, the uh, <coughs> excuse me there. Um, and there's two theories. Number one, and, and probably the most accepted theory on this, um, although not without contest within the medical community, is that it's brought on by childhood trauma. It doesn't usually manifest in childhood, but normally in the teen years. Um, but it's normally seen as a defense mechanism. In other words, uh, maybe someone who's been abused habitually as a kid or some terrible traumas happen to them, their brain fragments to protect themselves from the memories of what happened. So, for example, they might say something like, you know, their, their brain, again, these are all defense mechanisms, might say something like, what happened to me is so horrific that rather than daily enduring that pain, um, I will create another personality and slip into that to give myself some relief. And so uh, let's say I'm a, a young, you know, teenage girl, um, but I was sexually molested, um, you know, by a family member, what have you, um, maybe, maybe ritual abuse, whatever it is. Um, I develop an angry man, you know, like this guy named Butch, you know, who's real angry and um, fights everybody and is real tough and threatening and menacing. And that that particular personality or that alter it exists to almost kind of like a thorn on a rose or, you know, a, a spike on a cactus to keep people away. Um, and, and it's basically to protect myself from further assault. So this one takes over when I feel threatened. Um, another one can be a young child with innocent memories going back before the time that you were assaulted. Um, or it can be like a sexual, uh, sexually promiscuous woman, someone who's very lustful and very sexually forward. And the reason for that would be to protect themselves from the pain of any sexual assault. Like, I like this, you know, give me more. I want some, you know, oh, you know, I can't wait to get in bed with you. And it's a, it's a way that the, the mind triggers, uh, almost like a, a defense mechanism, if that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah. I remember, um, <clears throat> I know this might actually be a little bit too early to bring this up, but one of my roommates in college, was uh he was a navy seal and this is uh before um the our latest war so he like came after the first gulf war then he was a navy seal he spent his four or five years whatever it was and uh, left and actually went to biola after that and um he said that on the teams one of his uh his teammates on the seals had multiple personalities and yeah. it was a really big guy. And I'm like, well, don't they test for that? And he's like, yeah, they do. But being a SEAL, you kind of have to be borderline crazy anyway. And he goes, well, it was you, never an you issue kinda, for – what's that? Well, you you kind of – you your coping mechanism, I mean, PTSD, right, post-traumatic shock disorder, um, you know, that's really hit the, the headlines and stuff recently. But these guys are traumatized, man. Yeah, he said it wasn't a problem for them because – all of his personalities knew how to do the job, mm-hmm. and that's what they were most concerned with. He he did say, however, you had to like gauge from a distance which personality was it before you approached him because he was apparently a really big guy and known on the teams as like a serious brawler and would get into fights yeah. all the time. And he, he even said that one of the personalities liked him, if you know what I'm saying. 
So he uh-huh. had to always be like really <laughs> careful which personality is it before I go up to him. Mm. And that's heartbreaking because, you know, the question is what, what was in that guy's past that, you know, triggered this in his mind. And, and, and not surprisingly, he probably was drawn towards that field, you know, because of the trauma that he had and was able to endure it because of the trauma he had. You know what I mean? Right. Yep. So, okay. So, you know, and, and, and one of the things is it's hard to treat this with medication. So, uh, talking over the, the pains and traumas, um, therapy, um, learning coping mechanisms, uh, you know, to deal with what happened. That's kind of what really, uh, is the only treatment is someone who's a trained professional therapist who can walk them through all this pain, help them process it. And then they get what's called integration. Uh, the sign of healing is where these personalities come back together again. And sometimes they don't want to because they're afraid. Um, the mind, remember the mind is fascinating. The mind is, is feeling, no, I'll feel all that pain again. So the mind is resistant to integration because it's the way that it's learned to cope. So you have to build the bridge back to health by giving alternate coping mechanisms and kind of processing the pain and getting through it and forgiving and all that kind of stuff. And so it's pretty intense. But ironically, the second way that they think it might happen to people is that it might actually be caused by therapy. Really? Yeah, and particularly by regressive hypnotherapy which back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s kind of was a big deal. And, um, of course, that's when you put someone in a, in a hypnotic state and you go back through their, their memories, and they started using this a lot with uh, satanic ritual abuse, so it's known as SRA. Um, satanic ritual abuse is um, where somebody's been in, like, a cult or someone has, you know, I mean, it's just like what it sounds like, right? Satanic ritual abuse. I mean, you look at those girls that were locked up in the house um, you know, those girls are, are going to have some serious, serious therapy to get through. And so if you were to put people in a regressive hypnotherapy, sometimes what, what the criticism is of that treatment is that some of what's coming out because you're dealing with the subconscious, it's like dealing with a dream and some of what comes out may not be real. And so then you create, uh, this perception of reality or you might bring out Let's say you do hip, uh, uh, regressive hypnotherapy with somebody and they haven't been uh, abused in the way that you're suggesting. And as a therapist, you've got them under and you're asking very leading questions. And the brain is, is basically this subconscious is putting something together um, and, you know, it, it may create these traumas. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So if you if you look it up and do some research on it, the jury's out as to what causes it. They don't know. So there's there's people that say, oh, it's all childhood trauma, and there's other people that say it's actually created by the therapy to deal with childhood trauma. And so nobody really knows, and it's hotly disputed. I mean, it's not like it's uh, you know by any means conclusive. So it's kind of weird, um, but the fact is, it exists. And that's what you got to know. It It is something that actually is real. Um, and it, it doesn't, you know, you can't look for a devil under every bush. And you shouldn't assume when you meet someone with multiple personality disorder that or, or DID 
that uh, they are demonically possessed. To actually um, approach them as possessed could actually cause more trauma on them, and um, it, it wouldn't be right. So rather see, than see, to me, that wouldn't even be the thought that goes through my mind is that they're demon possessed. The thought that would go through my mind is how we've only seen it played out in the movies and TV. Um, one of them's actually a killer and these people are very dangerous. Like that's the thought that would go through my head is these people are very dangerous. Yeah. And, and ironically, they're not very dangerous people. Um, that's you know, very they're interesting. Yeah. The people with disassociative identity disorder are often married with kids believe it or not, and they've learned to manage it and they've learned like they might switch into another personality and the husband might be able to recognize like, oh, that's that's five year old hope. You know, Um, all I know is that's if that's the family situation, they are way better than I am, because if that was happening to me, I don't even know how I would deal with that. Well, again, with with all, uh, you know, types of mental disorders that, that break from reality. It's, it's when you have that kind of realization. Remember we we're talking about schizophrenics. Once you realize that you're ill, um, that is the first step to healing. And so, uh, once the identities become aware of each other and then the ego, um, realizes what's happening, then a lot of healing and a lot of progress can happen. Um, so that's, that's the deal. Um, but you can really do damage on people. So you pray for healing, not demonic deliverance. That's the key, right? And, uh, you, you can do great damage, like I said. Um, but you can, you can, the other thing is that mentally ill people, um, can actually, if, if, let's say you have someone with disassociative identity disorder and I treat them like they're demonically possessed and I put them in a full blown exorcism and I'm like, you know, screaming devil coming out of this person, which isn't how you do an exorcism, but let's just, you know, stereotype it here. And that's how I go into it. The, the, think of a, a, the psyche of a mentally ill person, right? They've been struggling with mental illness for years, and now you're telling them that it's a silver bullet solution, right? Jesus will come in and take this all away. Well, as a mentally ill person, if you've been mentally ill for 10, 15, 20 years, you're going to fixate on this. Like, this is my rescue out of mental illness. Because mentally ill people, A, usually know they're mentally ill, and B, are absolutely miserable. And so suddenly they're going to fixate on this, and they're going to play right into it. And that's not what you want. Does that make sense? It does. And uh, I could absolutely see that happening. Because if you do know, I mean, oh, my gosh, dude, it would drive me up the wall. Yeah, if if it were like your family member and some some yahoo comes in doing something like this to your family, you're you're just gonna see red, right? And smoke's gonna come out your nostrils. You're gonna you're gonna charge and kill them. And so here's the deal. Um, bottom line well, is, see, you know, and and I know that this is slightly off the subject, but I got to bring it up because I was reading on Facebook all the comments after Robin Williams killed himself, and you know the ones that bothered me the most were the ones that were like. Yeah, well, he did the most selfish act of all. He took his own life. You know, and I'm like, yeah, dude, thanks for the compassion, pal. Yeah. I mean, do you not know what that person was going through? Like we've all, we talked about this on the last podcast where we specifically, or two podcasts ago, where we specifically dealt with depression and, um, we've all had situational depression, right? You know, relationship breaks up, whatever. And we're depressed because of a situation. 
Sure. I hate that situational depression so much. It's so much not a part of who I am. Yeah. That there's really only a couple of times in my life where I can look at it and be like, okay, I was going through it right then and I was miserable. Yeah. So I cannot imagine being the person who has to deal with this all the time. And it's a routine part of their life. You know, every six months, whatever, they go into a manic depressive mode. Well, that's it. Like with Robin Williams, right? Like the amount of stuff that dude did suffering and struggling with depression, you know, and, and addiction, like you start gaining an appreciation for, wow, this dude, he was, he was a pack mule man for him to be able to, to go do that. You start seeing the strength. And I, I can remember when I got that perspective in the psychiatric hospital, like, wow, these are some tough people, man. We think them as weak mentally. It's, it's the opposite. These people are trying to function and trying to press on with things where their brains just aren't working right. That's and why I just it, it bothered me so much when I'd see those comments because I'm like, that is insensitive. That well, is that's completely it. insensitive and not understanding what that person is going through. Well, we we are going to have we're going to feature uh, on this next issue of Church Planner magazine. We're going to feature Robin Williams on the cover, and I can already anticipate that that some of the guys, not not like our normal, but you know, there'll be people who'll be like, "Hey, why do you have him on there? He's you know, he's not a church planner. He's not." I think that when people kind of when you look at the impact that this had, Robin Williams, um, people are still reeling. I was listening to a podcast today where people were saying uh, it, it was a totally stupid podcast, nothing to do with anything serious. Totally, it was a gaming podcast, and I, you know, I'm listening to this thing, and they just mentioned Robin Williams again, and they both said they were still reeling from it. And they said, "I don't think anyone else." They they were just tripping out on how much it affected them, and I think we need to look at that. You know, particularly as people like the exegete culture, church planners who, um, you know, if I go into a, into a town, I want to know people's values. I want to know, uh, what they dream of, you know, what success is to them, what keeps them awake at night, what they're afraid of, um, boom, boom, boom. And I think Robin Williams really is a picture to me of what our culture looks at right now, because right now they're looking at a guy who gave them joy and made them laugh and helped them through rough times. And it was just ironic that so many of the people he played were people that were depressed, you know, Patch Adams, um, you know, the list goes on. Of, of I mean, he, he played a surprising number of mentally ill characters. And for him to actually have been struggling with that, people were helped by it, you know. And uh, it's just it's just been amazing to watch people's reaction to it. Yeah. So I'm sorry, I totally took you off subject, but no, it's okay. You made me think of that. You you got me on the soapbox, man. It's not difficult. No, no. So, so we need to pray for uh, healing uh, for the mind, not for deliverance from demonic possession. And we're going to talk about, you know, there will be a time where you're like, okay, you know, uh, we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. You know, this isn't. DID, this is now demonic possession. But, uh, anyways, um, it, it, one, it, just an aside here, um, there are people in the psychiatric, uh, hospital who fake this all the time. And 
they're what what we call borderline personality disorders and it's it's the ultimate attention seeking gimmick is to pretend you have multiple personality disorders and so there's a, a personality disorder out there called borderline and they always pretend to have this and so just just to be aware that you might come across somebody who seems to have it but there's just something not right and and you're thinking you know I don't know what's up with this person, but they're they're switching personalities all the time. But the reality is, it's it's not, and and I just want you to be aware of that. So what are you, you saying? Actually, the reality is, is it is demon possession? No, no, no. There, there's actually a, a mental illness or or a personality disorder, which is considered a mental illness, but in a slightly different category that has attention seeking behaviors, and when they've been institutionalized all their life, they pretend to have uh, DID. Oh, and okay. so they will pretend to have this and it, it can throw you off because you realize part of their disorder is attention seeking and nothing gets attention like this disorder. Right. So, um, OK, so let, let's move into, you know, uh, how do I differentiate between someone who's demonically possessed and someone who has DID? Well, first off, let's just drop the shock statement that. uh there is no evidence in the Bible at all of demons causing split personalities. I'm I'm just going to throw that out there. There's not one well, case in the Bible. There's not, but I don't know how much can you say the Bible really focuses on demons. It's almost like, okay, these are here, yeah. and you know, and it isn't demon oppression. It's demon. Uh, I'm I'm sorry. It's not demon. Uh, possession, it's demon oppression, right? Is how the Bible's always referring to it. So I, I don't know that you could really make that statement though that like demons don't cause it or, or can't cause it just because it's not in the Bible. I, I'm not saying they don't and I'm, I'm not saying they can't, but the reason it's important to say that uh, there's no evidence in the Bible of demons causing split personalities is because we don't see that happening. In the scripture. And so when someone comes across a split personality um, and, and they're thinking, their assumption is, oh, the Bible talks about this. No, the Bible does not talk about this. The Bible never deals with multiple personalities. And so who I'm speaking to right now is the person who's out there thinking, oh, wait, I'm compromising. You know, maybe maybe they're backwards. Maybe they're a bit more fundamentalist than, than evangelical, but they just they somehow feel, no, no, that's that's not right. Well, go back and look at the Bible. It, the, the closest you'll ever come is where Jesus says, what's your name? And the person says, legion, for we are many. But you never have a case of splitting between personalities. So that's an important distinction when you come up to this, because I don't want people, sometimes you go into a situation and you assume what the Bible says, and you're not actually accurate about what the Bible does and does not say. But are people who uh, uh, appear to be multiple personalities, can they be possessed? Absolutely. But it's just important because we always want to operate from a biblical standpoint, right? Yes. (laughs) Well, that was the correct answer on that, of course. (laughs) Well done. So uh, here's the deal. I, I want you to okay. Remember, remember how we were saying earlier how regressive hypnotherapy talks about the fact that um, 
that may actually be causing uh, split personality disorder. Let, let's just let's just look at it for a second. When you go into a hypnotic state, what is actually happening? Well, first off, your ego or your conscious mind is taking a backseat. So if you've ever been in a, a nightclub or, you know, a, a comedy club and somebody says, hey, we're going to hypnotize people tonight. Um, what you're actually witnessing is, you know, for lack of a better term, the subconscious uh, goes to the fore and that can be manipulated. The conscious mind goes to the background. So you can actually say to someone, hey, when I snap my fingers, you'll cluck like a chicken, right? So um, the person gets hypnotized, the hypnotist snaps his finger, and the person, you know, can be acting totally like normal. When he snaps his finger, the person goes, quack, 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 quack. And that is a real phenomenon. It is suggestive thought being put in. And, and the person has opened themselves up uh, subconsciously to another mind. Okay. So we, we know it's, it's scientifically verifiable. There is no dispute on, uh, hypnosis. It is a scientifically, uh, measured, uh, thing. It only works on certain people, it does not work on everybody. So there was a guy in the UK that used to, uh, call payphones and there was a show. I can't remember the name of it. But um, always the beginning and opening of the show would be a, a, a telephone ring in the middle of nowhere, like a payphone, And it would show the person answering the phone. And this would be like, this would really be happening. And the person would listen and maybe say a thing or two, and suddenly they'd fall asleep. They'd just slump down in the phone booth. And the guy who ran the show, he was a hypnotist. And he was one of those guys where he could walk up to you and tell you exactly what you have in your pocket by asking you a few questions. And he would say, there's no occult in this. There's no magic. It's all psychology. And he would, um, he would end the show that way. And, and what he said about that was, look, there's a certain type of person who hip, hypnosis works on. It doesn't work on everybody, but it works on some people. And so, uh, what he would go on to say is that, uh, the type of person, for example, who hears a, a payphone ringing in the middle of nowhere, like out on the street, and answers it, uh, meets the profile of a person who would be open to suggestive uh, hypnosis. Because why would you answer a, a payphone ring in the middle of nowhere? You know it's not for you. But this person has something in their thinking. I've that done that, them. just so I'm clear. <laughs> <laughs> I remember walking through the mall on a couple of occasions as a kid, and the mall payphone would be ringing, and I'd always go answer it. Who's on the other end? They're always like, is Bobby there? And I'd be like, dude, this is a mall. I don't know who Bobby is. Are you sure Bobby's not there? <laughs> My grandson gave me this number. And then I'd always click like a chicken afterwards, but I never knew why. I have to say this while we're talking about walking through the malls and talking on the phone. Remember that whole thing? Um, what was the guy who who started uh, Apple with Steve Jobs? What was that guy's name? Wazowski or whatever his name was? Yeah, 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 yeah. That guy came out with um, Dial-A-Joke. Do you remember that? No. I remember Dial-A-Joke. I, I was reading the Steve Jobs biography. There were these, like, kiosks in the mall um, when I was growing up, and you could dial a joke. 
and you would you would put your money in the payphone and you would dial up a joke and it would tell you a funny joke. And I remember those. And he actually kids. made money with that. He made money, but of course, him. You know, it was never about money. It was making this cool, innovative invention, and so that's why he's not Steve Jobs. But uh, Steve Jobs is like, hey, let's make let's make money off this thing, right? But uh, but anyways, so back back to this. So think about what's happening. You're literally in hypnosis. You're literally giving up control of your psyche to someone else. So I want you to think about that. A scientific fact. It's it's universally accepted in the scientific community that this is a phenomenon this happens it is something the human brain is is capable of is giving control over to another mind now think about the mechanism of that for demonic possession suddenly people who are like oh it's a fairy tale it doesn't exist well the mechanism is there you may not believe in the presence of the devil or an evil being that's your real issue the whole idea of of demonic possession is highly possible because we know what hypnosis is. And so I would say that hypnosis um, has kind of identified the science of what happens to someone who is demonically possessed. That's an interesting thought. Now, I, I, I didn't think it up. Um, the first person that I ever heard, yeah, I, I don't have brilliant thoughts. I've never had an original thought in my life. I never did either. But the, the person I actually heard, first heard that from was uh, Dr. Walter Martin. Really? And, yeah, and he himself was a trained hypnotist. And many people don't know that. He actually uh, studied under hypnotists because, of course, he was the, the cult guy, right? He, he had a counter-cult ministry. And so he would talk about everything. Uh, I, another little uh, tidbit is um, Walter Martin saw a UFO. Now, he was convinced they were spiritual in nature and not nuts and bolts. He didn't believe that aliens were flying around in spaceships. But he himself had witnessed a UFO while he was in an airplane. And so, you know, really fascinating guy. But he was always the kind of guy that was like, let's look at the evidence and see where it leads. And so he became a trained hypnotherapist and, uh, or a, a, sorry, not hypnotherapist. He became a hypnotist and he believed that that was the mechanism by which demonic possession happened. And of course he was an experienced, I don't know if you call him a demonologist, but you would definitely call him an experienced exorcist. And a lot of the stuff that we know uh, within evangelical circles, uh, that we did not get from the Catholics, we got from Walter Martin, who ironically got a lot of what he knew from the Catholics. <laughs> so, um, so that's what we're talking about. It's, it's the same mechanism. And, and, and on a side note to that, right, when we're talking like, uh, you know, demonic beings, um, people used to always think, oh, you know, we live in the scientific world. We can't believe in spirits and, you know, uh, astral travel and all that stuff. Well, then we discovered something called quantum physics. You know, and that that kind of blew our whole idea of physics away. C.S. Lewis in uh, his space trilogy, Prelandria, um, first one was called Out of the Silent Planet, um, plays with this idea that angels and demons may actually be operating on physics. Because, you know, people are like, it defies the laws of physics. It can't be real, angels and demons. Well, you know, when you start studying quantum physics... That's actually the physics that they seem to be operating on. If that makes any kind of sense, that's that's pretty cool. It stuff. doesn't make sense to me because I don't know what quantum physics is, so I have no idea. You know, when you say that's the plane they're operating on, I don't. I, that doesn't mean anything to me. 
Well, so most physicists would would you know understand and agree that there's there's things like you know um, uh, time and matter displacement, all this all these weird concepts, people passing through walls, um, stuff that that um, Einstein had worked on. You know, you hear of the Philadelphia experiment, which some people don't believe is real, but there was definitely something going on. And uh, but anyway, C.S. Lewis had this whole idea. So quantum physics, uh, widely accepted by the scientific community as a game changer, actually is uh, apparently um, uh, quite a possibility for what demonic or, or let's just put it this way, celestial beings, the physics that they would operate on. And we're See, just to figuring me that this makes, stuff out all the time. To me, that makes perfect sense because it seems that as God created the universe, he definitely set like guidelines and rules for how the universe is supposed to operate. Yeah. And we see that in the Bible with angels and demons. Like we see, um, what was it? Michael wrestled with Satan for like three weeks or, you know, fought him for three or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so there are like, it's, it's not just a free for all on the spiritual plane. There seems to be like some rules that they're, that they're playing by. Absolutely. And there's so little that we actually understand. For example, um, you know, you, you, you hear a lot of different theories about ghosts and, you know, could there be a residue that people, you know, like when they see like, you know, uh, I'm not talking about like hauntings and things like that. I, I think most of that's demonic. But uh, when you when you see things like, you know, where someone says they see a person in the 16th century dress and they're walking in this house but you know their legs are going through the floor like you know there's like their kneecaps and then they're like oh yeah well because the floor you know used to be or the road used to be you know three feet below where it is now or something stupid like that um could there be an imprint that the soul leaves on the physical universe that occasionally seeps through quite possibly i mean we we really don't understand any of this stuff. Like when you read about Saul, when he goes to the witch of Endor, exactly. not, not the Endor moon. Yeah. But no, you know, with uh, Samuel. Yeah. And, and like, I don't care what commentary you've read. Who called me? I mean, that was yeah. Samuel. So somehow someone called up Samuel. Yeah. And, and so there's all these different interpretations of that like, Oh, you know, like some people are like, Oh, well, yeah, because you know, you can call people up. Other people are like, no, God sent him. But like, you just don't know. And so the first thing we got to say about this, guys, is it's not, you know, there may be a, a science by which these spirits operate. We're not told that science. It's not a science to us. In fact, we're given the, the caution in the scripture not to be overly concerned or yeah. involved in the affairs of angels. So yeah. let's just at the very beginning say there are people that have a morbid fascination with this. Um, if you've been in a demonic uh, exorcism, Trust me, it's the last thing you ever want to do again. It is horribly scary and frightening. Um, it, you're not like, uh, you know, Lee Van Cleef, you know, or, or Van Helsing. Um, you're not, uh, you know, the swashbuckling, you know, witch hunter that comes in and saves the day. It, it doesn't work that way. Um, it, it's scary and you hate every second of it. It beats the crap out of you. And so I'm, I'm just going to say that, you know, there's a lot we don't understand. And so as we enter into this conversation, how are we doing on time, Pete? We got 10 more minutes. 
Okay, 10 more minutes should do it. All right. So let's say, you know, we may not be able to talk about exorcism today, but what we can talk about is the difference probably in 10 minutes between spotting a uh, DID sufferer and demonic possession. So um, first off, the first thing. And then what is the church planter supposed to do if they have someone who's got someone with multiple personalities? Oh, absolutely. So multiple personalities, you encourage them. Let me just answer that right off the bat, because I'm going to talk about, you know, deciphering whether it's a demonically possessed person or a DID sufferer. If they're just a DID sufferer, you just want to get them in treatment. What does DID stand for again? Um, Dissociative Identity Disorder. Yeah, that's right. All right. So fancy, fancy way of rephrasing, uh, personality, just multiple personality disorder or split personality. These call it. they're changing the names all the time. So it's used to marketing. be called split personality. Yeah. It's so marketing. Well, yeah. Yeah. And so here's the deal is that, uh, first off, here's how you spot them with a demonic possession. This to me, now I'm, I'm not going off textbook here. I'm saying to me. The number one way as a psych nurse I can tell is I can feel the demonic presence. I feel it before uh, it manifests. And every exorcism I've ever been in, before the person does something that makes you think, oh my gosh, you're possessed, right before, maybe one second before, you sense this horrible panic and darkness and evil. And I don't even know how to describe it. But in every case of demonic, and I'm talking where the person's full on goose shooting out their nose, you know, convulsions and, you know, coming out of some chick. Um, I have felt it. It's like, you know how, like when you're watching a THX movie at the beginning and that sound at the beginning where it goes, you know, that I wish they had never taken that away because that was the best sound effect to start a movie. I'm telling you, that sound effect, I, I always, when I hear that sound effect, it always reminds me of like, you know, like that. Remember when they used to be real loud and they'd shake that? You just get this feeling kind of like, oh my gosh, what's happening? Like you feel this evil and you can't explain it. And then they manifest, right? And some, so I would say number one, um, there is a demonic presence that is palpable before there are any symptoms. Of demonic possession. <clears throat> now I don't I don't know how to qualify that. You just got to trust me on it. Um, num- number two, the altars or the human names um, that that people use. So the altars uh, or the altar personality, the split personalities, the whatever you want to call it, um, they will use human names. So they'd be like, "This is Jan. This is Bob. This is Doug." Um, the reason why is that the brain is creating believable identities that it can hide in, right? So it won't be like, you know, won't create an identity that's something like, you know, uh, what's your name? My name is, you know, uh, Baal or something like that. The uh, demonic names tend to be evil in nature. They tend to be ancient. They might be Sumerian, Babylonian. Um, they might be, uh, some uh, achievement or conquest, uh, maybe some famous person in history, um, or uh, it might just be something sinful by nature that it identifies itself with. And so the names that they give you um, aren't human names. So like when Jesus says, what's your name? And he says, we're legion, you know, something he was proud of, um, that, that 
demonic force. And just, you know, as an aside, um, that particular case of demonic possession that Jesus comes across, there are Christians who will sometimes say, oh, you know, demonic possession, it doesn't exist. It was just back then they didn't know uh, the word for epilepsy, uh, you know, it wasn't diagnosed. So when the guy, uh, the kid, you know, his kid's epileptic, um, throws himself in the fire, the water, of his epilepsy, and Jesus, you know, um, heals him. It wasn't, there was no such thing as a demon, but of course the ancient writers called him demons and demonic possession. It's a bunch of crap. That explanation or that, that explanation pales. It, it may, you know, you may, you may be able to understand how someone got that from that particular case of demonic possession. But, um, when Jesus comes across the guy who calls himself Legion and that guy sees Jesus coming, and panics and says, what have you to do with us, O son of God? Um, have you come to torment us before the appointed time? I'm sorry, that was not DID, right? That, that was a demonic presence who was saying, I know who you are, and I know what you've come to do to me. And please send me into those pigs over there because... What, by uh, the way, what was the significance of that? What was the significance of sending them into the pigs and then the pigs drowning? I don't understand. So... So there's a lot of theories about that. Um, one of them is that, and you're going to have to like bear with me. You're going to have to stretch with me here. Let me just first of all say, at a brass text level, first appearance, it appears that demonic beings like being in bodies more than not. Okay, I don't know what that's all about, but Jesus makes a statement when a demon is cast out of a man, he goes to dry and arid places seeking rest. So uh, apparently there's something that they like. And of course we know about the Nephilim, um, that, that there was something that happened in the ancient world, uh, uh, you know, that, that demonic beings like inhabiting human beings and controlling them. And so uh, all I can say to you is I don't really know, but there is a theory and it's a crazy theory. And I'm just going to say it because it's, uh, I, I'm validating that it is just a theory and a crazy theory at best, but perhaps. Um, there's a whole motif throughout the Bible that the life is in the blood and that one of God's greatest gifts to man, how he differentiated the celestial body from a terrestrial body, is he gave it physical form. And so the celestial bodies, like Paul says, they, they're, they're different than us, um, but that the physical body um, is uh, different. And so, um, of course, we're going to have that body resurrected. That's going to be pretty cool. But um, the, the reality is that apparently um, the, the demonic spirits, um, the theory is that they like uh, being attracted to a physical body because of the blood. And I, I, don't, I don't know if there's something in that. You know, of course, the whole vampire legend. Um, okay, but so why, you know, when they go into the pigs and then the pigs run in the water and drown. So the pigs What's panic. significant of that? Yeah, no, the pigs panic and just kill themselves because, you know, they run off the cliff because they panic like a herd and and drown. And, um, you know, uh, I think the pigs just panic, you know. So uh, what's the significance the... of them drowning? Does that mean then the spirits are out of the pigs? or? Yeah, yeah, it does, absolutely. Once the life is in the blood, once the uh, blood stops circulating, and I'm and I'm just totally going out on a limb here. Some people are gonna be like, "Dude's talking crazy," but um, the life is in the blood. 
according to the scripture, uh, the, as a medical person, I'll tell you the ABCs, airway, uh, breathing, and circulation, the, the blood, the life is in the blood. And so if it's not a living being, um, then, you know, it, there's something about when it says God breathed into the body and he became a living soul. There is a uh, body and soul connection. And so I don't know how to put it. I just know that they wanted to be in that body. Pigs do not have human souls and they wanted something to inhabit. That's what we infer from there. But again, so much of this stuff we don't know. You know, on, so, a, on a side note, just to to further the point that there is there that I think uh, what you said earlier, that there are some sort of physical rules or um, physics rules, quantum physics rules, if you will, for the, the spiritual side of things. I, I, I always think back about Elisha, right? After he died and they were burying him, his bones. Huh. That they didn't have time, and the dead guy, you know, they were throwing him in the same hole, and the dead guy just touched Elisha's bones and was made alive again. That's one of the coolest stories in the Old Testament. It's one of the craziest stories, but it just, like, to me, it's like it really emphasizes God probably set up rules that we don't understand and aren't meant to understand. No. Um, and he even tells us that, you know, these are these aren't for you to know now. And I like the fact that God doesn't answer all those questions because you know how people are, right? Like people are just freaks. And I love the fact that God's like, hey, that's not for you to know. You know, you don't need to know that. So I'm I'm totally in agreement. So the third thing, just a field guide here, is look at the eyes. Um, the, the personalities, if you've got an angry guy, he's going to look angry. If you've got, you know, a wounded child, they're going to, you know, um, or shame-filled child, they're going to, you know, that personality is going to have that look in their eyes. But a de- demonically possessed person, their eyes can be vibrating. They can change colors. Um, you you can see the person. Uh, you can literally, I, I don't know how to put it, but with a demonically possessed person, there's just a different look they get in their eyes. And it's almost like the look of death looking at you. And I, I don't know how to put it, but there is a different look in a demonically possessed person that, I've never seen in someone who's not possessed. They, they don't always, by the way, demonically possessed people don't always have that. But there can be a significant, you know, a, a certain look that people have that a, that someone with DID, they're just going to, you know, look like an angry person talking to you or what have you. They can switch back and forth between sentences. Now, DID can do this. It's called rapid switching, but not typical. With an exorcism, you'll have a cry for help. On the one hand, the person crying out for help. And you can be having two simultaneous discussions. That's not typical of DID. So you might have the demonic voice, which is fighting you, uh, blaspheming, um, accusing, telling you your sins. So uh, uh, clairvoyance, um, apparent clairvoyance, like, hey, you know, I saw what you're looking at on your computer or, you know, I heard the way that you talked to your wife or, you know, I saw the way you were. De- they will throw out accusations. That's why when the Catholics do this, um, when the Catholics do uh, exorcisms, they go to confession first and they get it all out and they confess every single little bit because they believe that it renders the accusations of the enemy powerless and it will stop the demonic spirits from doing it because it, it doesn't trip them up then. So. That's, you know, very different than, say, a Protestant look on things. But the point is the same. If you're in an exorcism, they will actually tell you your sins. And they will know things about you that someone with DID won't know. 
So like the chick over at uh, Starbucks yeah. who turned and looked at me and said, well, you came a long way to get here, didn't you? And I was like, yeah, I, I, did, I drove an hour to get here. Um, the, the presence of the supernatural. So the real life case of the exorcist, for example, um, that happened with a boy who is popularly known as Roland Doe, uh, D-O-E, but his, uh, that was a pseudonym for his real name, which was Robbie Mannheim. Um, and, and they were a, a German Lutheran family. They were in uh, Mount Rainier, Maryland. Uh, my brother actually lived in that neighborhood. I remember he one day took me by the, the site where the house used to be. They tore it down and they put a, um, at that time there was a park there. Uh, I've since read differently on it that they've now built a building there. But, um, at that time it was a neighborhood park, which was kind of creepy, but, uh, they tore the house down because no one wanted to buy the house and built a neighborhood park. But, um, at first when stuff started happening, um, they called the neighborhood priest. And of course, his aunt was a spiritualist medium and she had introduced a family to Ouija board. And so that was kind of the gateway for the demonically possessed, uh, the, de- the demon to possess the boy. He was about 10 or 11 years old, I think. I can't remember. But, uh, uh, anyways, they called the Lutheran priest. He didn't know what to do with it. So he's like, I don't know. And he, uh, just put it down to unexplained phenomenon. And then the family called, a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist said he's just a highly strung kid. And then finally, uh, one of the family members said, you need to call a Catholic priest. And, you know, and, and I'm just going to say this. I've said this before, but the Catholics are, they've been doing this longer than anybody and they're kind of the experts. And so that will offend some people, obviously, because they'd be they like, have hey, the man. book of Enoch and we don't have the book of Enoch. So. No, we don't have the Apocrypha. That's, that's a secret weapon right there. But you know, the, the reality is this, the Catholics know what in the heck they're doing. Um, a lot of the stuff I was saying about vampire mythos, I believe that the vampire mythos it, it directly ties back to demonic possessions. And someone didn't know how to explain that. And the legends about vampirism came from demonically possessed people. Demonically possessed people do sometimes eat flesh and drink blood. Um, I, I have been called to an exorcism, uh, where the person wanted to eat human flesh. I don't know if they actually did, but that was one of the major, uh, warning signs, uh, was the you know, person always, uh, hungered for human flesh and, you know, wanted to eat all of his enemies. And, um, uh, but anyways, all that to say, uh, it was the presence of the supernatural phenomenon in the case of the boy that the exorcist was based off of. That finally, you know, they, they said, well, th- this is not mental illness. And so there will be supernatural phenomena. Sometimes you'll have levitation. You'll have foul odors. Uh, I have been in an exorcism where you've had odors and ectoplasm. Um, ectoplasm, you know, is another word for copious amounts of snot that come out of the person. Um, like way too much for it to be like, oh, this person just has a stuffy nose. Very first exorcism I was ever in, the person was just gooping out their nose like crazy. And uh, foreign voices, that one was in there. Convulsions, that one was in there. This is my first exorcism. Um, foreign languages often come out. Like like you can just tell that's a language. You may not, you, you won't know the, the language. Um, you know, objects floating, levitating, the person levitating, uh, fingernails growing in front of your eyes. And then the person can do this weird thing sometimes where they, uh, they literally like, and, and I'm going to say this, 
and I can't believe I'm going to say this. I can never run for president once I say this, right? Because they'll go, they'll go into these archives, dig it out, and they'll say, listen to this crazy stuff he used to say. Um, so th- there goes my presidential campaign of, uh, you know, remember when we were going to run for president, Peyton for president and Pete for vice, remember? <laughs> that would be the worst day ever. <laughs> <laughs> and that's done. You know, it's gone now because of what I'm about to say. They can literally take on the aspects of animals physically. And what I mean by that is they can grow fangs. Um, they can slither like snakes. Um, a good pastor friend of mine um, had a, an open counseling uh, walk-in center in the heart of Swansea in Wales. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget, we were sitting there talking in his office, and he goes, yeah, I had a, an exorcism yesterday. And this guy was like normal. He wasn't a weird freaky freak. He was one of the guys I trust more than anyone else. And he goes, I know you're not going to believe me when I say this. But he goes, in the demonic possession I was in yesterday, um, I watched a man literally, as we were doing the exorcism, drop onto the floor and slither like a snake across the floor. And he goes, see that curtain and that curtain uh, pole? He slithered. He spiraled around the curtain, climbing it, and went around that curtain pole and back down the other side. And he goes, now, I know you know me. I'm not crazy. And he goes, it's physically impossible for that to have happened, but it happened in front of my eyes. And and sure enough, like, the amount of space between the wall and the curtain pole was not enough for a human body to fit through. And so, you know. Check, please. <laughs> check, please. Mamma um, mia, that's a spicy meatball. Pete, you got to get your machine fixed. I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't even. I mean, I've heard that story a couple of times now. So, you know, it's, it is what it is. Uh, I hope I never don't see that in real life. So here's the reality. That, that is a trippy story, and I don't expect anyone to believe it, but I know the guy who told it to me. And the the reality is when you're there, you're like, uh, check, please. We're not dealing with a DID here, right? We are dealing with something supernatural. And, you know, of course, there's been numerous stories of, you know, uh, police detectives that uh, have, we saw that movie, right? Remember of the uh, police detective who was called in. It was a true story. They made a film about it recently. Um, and, and by the way, the guy from The Exorcism, the uh, there were nine priests and 30 nine witnesses, friends and, and family members of this little boy that uh, signed the journals. And the journals you can uh, you can actually buy in book form. They, the Catholic Church kept meticulous journals on this. And uh, so that, that's it. So what do you do? And we're going to wrap up. Um, if you're faced with somebody and you're, you're like, they're DID and, you know, they appear to be DID, there's some really easy ways to get to the bottom of whether or not it's DID. If you suspect it's not DID, then you ask questions. And, and, and always with any demonic possession, it starts with asking questions. You talk to them and you pray for them. And we don't really have time to go into all that. Maybe we can pick it up because it, it, this, this whole procedure that we're about to talk to has nothing to do with DID at all. We're just we're going to talk next time about how you assess demonic possession guys it's always the last resort it's always the last thing you want to think Check, and, please. It's, 
<laughs> it's always the last place you go. I mean, the, the things I've said, right, they're unmistakable. If you just got someone switching back and forth between altars, it's really easy. You're just like, okay, you know, and, and you pray for that person. You get to know them and, you you know, you, you build relationship and you refer them to therapy. You're not qualified to give them the treatment they need. But, uh, but you know, always helpful to pray for them and, uh, you know, to talk to them about the Bible. And if there's an issue demonically, those two activities alone will start to uh, thicken the plot a bit. And uh, we'll come back and talk about that next episode. That's if we return for episode 96. I guess I like it. I gotta find I gotta find a place for this one. That was a good one, right? I think you could use that in the exorcism. Absolutely, and the one that you told me I for sure got to use next week. Oh no! I see dead people. (laughs) Which at this point is just kind of creepy. So hey, let's uh, let's wrap this up, guys. Jump school registration is still open. It is filling up pretty quickly. If you want to join, that is www.jumpschooltraining.com. See, that's how I do my ad, Pete. That's how I do I like that. We just had a comment uh, posted on there from Andrew Torres, and he wrote, first there was old school, then there was new school, now there's jump school. Jump school! Here's here's the reality. It, when you get into jump school, it is just flipping cool. It's all retro, 101st Airborne, World War II. You get loads of crud with it. Um, you're going to be able to interact but, with us. But on let's face it, everyone, everyone joins jump school for the logo. I mean, I was, hey, I didn't want to say that because, you know, I know it's like, you know, it's poking the bear, but, you know, come on. We people know. don't understand it, what we're talking about. Poking the the logo is just so cool. How can you not join it? You know what I'm saying? That, that's the whole reason people buy is the logo. It's always Absolutely. the logo. Absolutely. You know, it always is. And one day when Pete and I are sitting back and we're looking on, you know, all the all the planners we've helped over the years, we'll sit back and say, you know, if not for that jump school logo. We couldn't have done the job. Absolutely. Well, hey, this has been the Church Planner Podcast, freaking you out and reminding you that if you want to go where nobody's going, you need to do what nobody's doing and something like that. I screwed that up. <laughs> you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. If you want to read <laughs> And remember, if you don't find yourself surrounded, you're in the wrong landing zone. Jump school! Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Magazine.com.